I was thinking of starting like this. Hello, friends. Do you have 15 minutes to talk about the good book, the story of Lamb, the gospel according to Biff Christ's childhood pal? I'm here with the author, not God, no, Christopher Moore, whose Lamb is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year in year of our Lord 2022. Um, blessings to you, Chris. I would be speechless after that. Well done. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 835, Lamb's 20th Anniversary. It seems only proper that during this Christmas season we celebrate the 20th anniversary of Christopher Moore's wise and funny novel, Lamb, the Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Pal. Lamb was my first introduction to the Christopher Moore canon, and I've reread it multiple times, but I only just learned in this conversation that the last word of the title is really the key. Lamb is the story of a friendship. And Chris and I began our conversation talking about how an irreverent approach to sacred topics can lead to some cool discoveries. The Bible is everybody's story. Right. You know, so it's not when we when we got in trouble for performing the Bible in Northern Ireland, whatever that was, nine or 10 years ago. Um, I said, how how dare you defame this book that is special to many? I said, well, it's my book, too. Why? I can't make fun of my book it's part of my culture just because i don't identify as a believing christian it's still my book so neener (laughs) (laughs) but that but this is the thing this is the thing that you did so accomplished so well with lamb is that yes it's irreverent people don't like irreverence but you're irreverent but at the same time you're incredibly reverent and faithful to both the known bits of the Bible, but also the bits the Bible leaves out. Your solution right. to where Jesus went during those missing years, when he went rumspringa, is uh, is inc- makes all the sense in the world to me and to many others. I'm guessing because Lamb is now taught in universities, isn't it? Yeah, it's taught in uh, in divinity classes. Um, yeah. I uh, I got a note that. Uh, from a Harvard Divinity student that it was on their recommended reading list. And I I, I often say that they wouldn't let me mow the lawn at Harvard. And yet there it is. They're teaching my book. And uh, Emory, I think now there's probably a dozen or more seminaries that are that are teaching Lamb, usually in the context of uh, uh, the Bible as literature. As an adjunct to, to, uh, to a divinity course. And they... And and the history in it is right, and that's and the the, the history and the, and the theology in it is right, and and so that's something that they they sort of point out is that the compare and contrast that goes on um, among uh, you know Hinduism, Buddhism, um, and uh, uh, Taoist alchemy, which I didn't even know about when I started that book, um, that that all works, that all fits, and and so that was the sort of the the thematic thing that that uh, divinity students, I guess, I mean, they're 
usually delighted because they don't get a lot of fun stuff to read. Sure. You know, and I think that's probably the the professors have that in mind too. It's like, how would you like? I we know you've just waited through Aquinas for the last you know semester. How about uh, how about you read about you know Biff, Christ's childhood <laughs> friend? You know. Well, and that's an that's an interesting point too, because if you're this lamb comes as such a a, a nice contrast to all the serious stuff that, that people can read on this topic. And yet for me, the I guess the reverse, the obverse is true, is that I, I love to read an entertaining book, but one that has some meat on the bone and some right. real history and some real real ideas behind it, which all of your books do, but Lamb arguably has even more. Um, did, did you, I know that you have traveled to uh, 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 Paris and, and Austria to research other books. Did mm -hmm. you... Did you walk in the steps of Jesus to uh, research this book? It's funny you use that phrase. I, I actually, there was such a thing in 1999 as travel agents, and I wasn't going to go to uh, to Israel, to Palestine, because normally when I do a book, I, I will go to a place to see how people talk to each other and how they behave. And, you know, for instance, my my first San Francisco book, Bloodsucking Fiends, takes place in, uh, the main character is a, uh, secretary at Transamerica. So I would just go down to the financial district and sit in some of the outside dining places and listen to uh, assistants on lunch. And what do they talk about? What was their priority? And and I thought, well, for Lamb, that's that doesn't make any sense because everybody's been dead for two thousand years. And my and my wife said, no, you need to go. You always get something. How's your conversational Aramaic? Yeah, and and I said uh, and I said okay, I'll go. So I um, I went to a travel agent and uh, and I said, look, I need footsteps of Jesus. I need to get in, get out. Nobody gets hurt. And uh, and he said, okay, fine. So he put me on a bus with forty um, other English speaking, uh, I guess, white people. Although that wasn't a requirement, but people, you know, Canadians and Kiwis and Aussies and and Brits and all that. Um, uh, we're on this bus that did basically footsteps of Jesus, although we did, you know, the cruise, all the all the historical sites in, in Israel, you find out they all have the the experience of being razzed by the the new kid on the block. You know, it was it was, you know, they've got Baal and then the Jews razzed them and then the the Christians razzed them and then the the or the Romans razzed them. And, uh, you know, it just it, it loops, you know, by by day four in Israel, you're thinking, I'd like to sack a temple. It just seems like the thing to do. It's like shooting road signs in Montana. You just you got to do it when you're there. When in so, Rome. Yeah, so I was there for three weeks um, on a bus going to all these different historic sites. The bus is the way to to do it because they have access to all these sites that are hard to get into. Like the uh, Bethlehem is Palestinian, and there's this was before there was a wall, but it was very it was one of the scariest places we went. Yeah, um, and uh, one of the uh, one of the Canadians got tear gassed while we were into this the souvenir store, which sells a lot of nativity scenes. Um, yeah. and, yeah. and but has a has a steel you know security door with a buzzer on it and stuff like that and it was the most exciting thing that ever happened to him it was like oh, oh I got gas day uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, anyway so so it and it did inform the book it was what it informed the book was was the uh, the topography of 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 the the place how 
severe and harsh, you know, uh, Nazareth is. Yeah. And, and and they're making this 80, 100 mile walk to Jerusalem four times a year in sandals. And it's just it's just an incredibly harsh area. And then, you know, Judea, which is, you know, what was Judea, which is where the Dead Sea is, uh, you know, another thing that just you can't imagine something being that dead. Yeah. Um, until you're there and you know because you go to the sonora desert or or the high desert in in the u.s and there's a lot of life there there's a lot going on and and the dead sea there's just nothing there's just yeah. not a green thing anywhere and then you'll see a goat herder and you're like what are those goats eating yeah. you know each other so um but that informed the book um well, and I, and I imagine that sort of harsh lifestyle informs how these beliefs get so strong and ingrained. You're clinging to anything that has the promise of life or a blessing or relief or something. Well, and I don't know. I I, I don't know if I've ever known, but the, the idea that you came over the mountain and, and saw the land of milk and honey and that was what Palestine was in those days, it, I mean... If you came over the, I mean, now, yes, it's a lot of it's irrigated. Right. But, um, but then, I mean, if it looks like it, Judea does now, I was like, wow, I'm sure glad we got out of Egypt. Um, yeah. yeah. I was there in the nineties, a couple of times um, <clears throat> in Israel. And, and it was the two things was one was that so many of the historical sites are just places we've all agreed to agree that this is where that happened. Because right. <clears throat> we don't honestly really know, but we've decided, okay, yes, that's the mount. And uh, uh, yes, this mm -hmm. is this is the this is the this is the temple, the chapel, the place where the crash right. was. Um, but walking through Gethsemane and those olive trees and those olive trees were there. I mean, right. I, exactly. I found the olive trees incredibly moving. Because I'm not sure there. I think there's been a fire actually there in the last 20 years, but but the, when I was there before, the, that that grove of olive trees was incredibly moving because those olive trees have seen some shit, right? And then you, and you know that's the scene from you know Gethsemane. You know Peter put up your sword for he who yeah. lives. Um, yeah. And uh, I had a similar experience. Uh, they they put our tour on a big. Uh, I don't know it was, uh, what kind of boat it was, but it was a. It, it seemed appropriately uh, fashioned to 2,000 years ago, but it was a big, wide-bottomed boat that held, I don't know, 40 people. And we were out on the Sea of Galilee, and much of what's around Galilee looks like it did 2,000 years ago. And they're, and they're um, um, excavating... Uh, Capernaum, which is where Peter lived. And I, I'm probably saying that wrong, but, you know, like many writers, I haven't ever heard any of these words spoken. I've just read them. Yeah. Um, and then, and it's funny, but the, they've built a church that looks like a landing spaceship over this excavation of this 2000 year old village. But uh, that was a place where you go, okay, I could see 5,000 people on the, on the hill here and mm -hmm. going, okay, we could use some loaves and fishes. Do you got any loaves and fishes? Um, so, so it did, it, it did inform the trip. But meanwhile, my wife went off to Hawaii for two weeks with her sister-in-law. Um, yeah. But where's her revered book? Huh? That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she got a tan. That was it. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I it's the research. 
On-site research always enriches whatever I'm doing. Um, and I think if for no other reason than my default uh, reaction to things is to say something funny. And so when I'm when I'm uh, when I'm experiencing new things, my immediate thing that comes to mind is something funny as a reaction to that. And I'll write that down and that'll be plugged into the book, you know, two years later. Yeah. Um, uh, an example of that is that we were in Judea as a, uh, um, Jericho and in one of the Gospels. And I don't remember at this point, um, Jesus heals two blind guys in Jericho. And and so when in my book and and it's again the deadest place on the planet and they they're healed and they go uh, um, and they go ah and, and Jesus goes what do you mean and he goes they go well I just thought there would be more color and uh, and yeah. he, and and uh, and he, he's like but you can see now and you've never been able to see and so like what color is that and he go well that would be brown and I was like how about that and he goes that would also be brown um and, and because there's nothing that's not sort of that beigey brown thing in that yeah. whole valley so so but I would have never known that if I hadn't gone and that and that little bit of comedy would have never happened if I hadn't gone there you know so it gives that sort of context for the comedy that's amazing. Um, uh, I mean, uh, the joke we make about that, you know, uh, we're talking about Jesus's miracles when he made the blind man lame. Well, that wasn't one of his better miracles, actually. <laughs> Hello, this is Jenny Mazels, illustrator of Pop-Up books and most famously of pop-up Shakespeare book and you are listening to the Reduce Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSE the RSE? Sadly we're not performing the ultimate Christmas show abridged anywhere this year but in the first half of 2023 we'll be performing the complete history of comedy abridged in Indiana and Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, Fort Worth, Texas, Reston, Virginia, the McCarter Theater in Princeton, New Jersey, and Basalt and Lone Tree, Colorado. Check out the touring page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or our Twitter feed, at Reduced, for the latest information. Now back to my conversation with Christopher Moore, whose comic novel, Lamb, The Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Pal, is celebrating its 20th anniversary. said earlier that that you know this is a this is an oft told tale people writing stories of Jesus and and the uh, stories from the bible but it's also um an oft parodied tale i mean you're right. you're, you're working in a in a lovely field like monty python and and the our show the bible the complete word of god abridged do you do you find did, did, was that a solace to you did you think Oh, this is okay because I'm not the first one to do something irreverent about Jesus. No, I wanted to do uh, something different. Um, it, I mean, I, I was com completely aware of what had come before and how people reacted to it, and I changed the the book in anticipation of that, and and not so much because I was worried about negative feedback, but because I was worried about losing my reader. Yeah, um, and and I remember that. Um, how upset people were about the Scorsese movie, The Last Temptation. Um, most of them who hadn't seen it and mm -hmm. didn't realize or didn't care that the temptation never happened. It was a temptation. It was the devil saying, this is all the cool life you'll have if you if you don't go off and be the Messiah. 
pardon me. So when I was doing uh, LAM, it, I mean, I was really trying to swing for the fences. The ambition of that project was I'm going to tell the greatest story ever told, and I'm going to just take everything the Gospels say at face value. I'm not going to question it. I'm not here to question anybody's faith. I just want to tell the story of this friendship between these two guys. And the idea, I think, that, that engendered it was not only would you have a friend that was this close and this supportive, but what would it be like to lose a friend like that? Yeah. And so, um, and and I never answered that question. Um, I don't, you know, spoiler alert, one of them doesn't make it. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, or or as I as I signed the you know when I'm when I'm inscribing the books don't get too attached to the Jewish kid, um, <laughs> but uh, two thousand year old spoiler alert. Yeah, I but but it, interestingly enough, my agent um, we had uh, I had uh, submitted a, a, a proposal for a contract and lamb was the first book on the contract and as opposed to how they portray it in movies you don't really pitch books if you're a if you're a fictional i've never pitched a book you send a proposal saying this is what it is so that they can consider it and present it themselves and the people who pitch books are editors to other editors when they do their uh, their meeting for what they're going to acquire and so my my agent was pretty aware of what i was doing and there was a point I was maybe six months into writing the book and Lamb took a long time for me. It took more than two years. Um, and, he, and he said, you can't read anything um, that's coming to you, uh, you know, un, um, unpublished manuscripts, because people are always saying, can you take a look at my manuscript? He goes, you can't do it. And I go, why? And he goes, I have gotten five queries for satires and parodies of the nativity story. Um, in, in the last couple of weeks, having nothing to do with you, he said, yeah. and each of one is a different take, but there's so much out there that he's, you know, he said that it, it would never hold up as a, as a, uh, uh, plagiarism, uh, cause because execution, not ideas are, are what you copyright, but a bad book in that genre can ruin something that, that is a good book. But he said, you just you know, don't look at anything that anybody sends you. And that's been the case for now 20 years is I don't read unsolicited or, you know, unpublished manuscripts because I'm not allowed to. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that was, I was aware that not only was, was there Life of Brian and, and those, you know, uh, I read everything that was published um, and, and since found out that I missed a few Don Imus had written a, a parody of Jesus um, which I didn't know about at the time, but I read the the ones that were easy to find, right. um, which I always do. I always try to read everything. And, you know, I'm working on a book that's working with Frankenstein. And one of the first things I did was get a copy of your play, you know, let's <laughs> yeah. oh, see what Austin did with this shit, you know, <laughs> got it down to 120 pages. That's impressive. Or even less than that, I think. Um, anyway, so, uh, so yeah, I was aware of it and I wasn't intimidated by that. It was just being able to pull it off. To yeah. keep the balance of not losing people of faith, um, not alienating people because it was, you know, because it was going to have a lot of body jokes in it because that's what I do, you know, yeah. and and how to how to present those and not lose the Kazantzakis audience who can't handle the idea of the last temptation, you know, which is, you know, where Christ has sex. So that was a rule going in for me. I'm not, okay, um, Joshua doesn't get laid. Um, yeah. And, and uh 
I remember when I'd finished the manuscript, I let a couple of friends read it, my wife and then and then a couple of friends who were just sort of close readers. And they came back saying, I have a real hard time with with uh, Jesus saying the F word. So I took out every instance of that, except I think one um, and it, or maybe two. But but it was it's the one where um, uh, Biff says, you know, Josh says, well, you know, I love all the little children of the world. Um Red, red and yellow, black and green, and <laughs> and uh, and Biff goes really green, and he goes, "No, I'm just effing with you." Because uh, and and it and it and it it I think it kills the laugh because I don't overuse it as I as I do in you know like my Shakespeare books. Um, <laughs> well, that's a <clears throat> but that's a really good point about losing the reader. I mean, it's right. it's you you uh, one has a responsibility to do that to do, to that. We we cut. We cut stuff on our shows all the time because or we move things like we had a particularly egregious pun early on in our history of comedy show that resulted in all the reviews saying, oh, well, it's it's just a pun filled groan fest. And we moved that pun to later in the act. We never got those reviews again. You know, it was just too much too soon in the wrong direction. Turn make decides makes people decide what the thing is. Yeah, and it's, it's, that's exactly right. And you, and you, you, one has to anticipate the reviews and how because people are lazy. Yeah. Reviewers are lazy, and and one of the things that I I learned early on about the time you were writing uh, the Bible retold or whatever, uh, I was writing Island of the Sequin Love Nut, which um, the villains in that are Japanese, and that was 1995 or so, yeah. and there was um, sort of a. Um, I guess it would be a meme, but there was that nobody was using that word yet for, uh, you know, there was this Jap Japan bashing and Michael Crichton wrote a book about it called Rising Sun. And so I knew that a lazy reviewer was going to go, well, it's just Japan bashing. Right. So I, it was the first book that I wrote an afterward to. And I, and I said, look, the reason the bad guys in this are Japanese is because where this book takes place, the closest uh society that can achieve organ transplant, which was something I needed, is in Japan, yeah. which has this built-in underworld, this mysterious underworld of the Yakuza. So, it, you know, and and so that was just anticipating lazy reviewers, and I've done it ever since. It's just to go, this is going to be somebody that's going to go, aha, I caught you here. Yeah. And, you know, like my, my two latest two San Francisco books, which are set in 1947, have trigger warnings yeah. in the beginning saying, look, People were not enlightened in 1947. Just chill. And yeah. you can almost, and then in the reviews that come in, you can see how angry people are underneath that they couldn't call you out. It's like, well, he does have a trigger warning at the beginning, but he forgot to mention this, you know, yeah. <laughs> which I could find offensive if that's what I was going for. So um, I, I, I do think that you have to anticipate how your, your audience is going to react and how to keep them on board. Well, and but and and you anticipate that so well in Lamb that you even have an author's blessing at the beginning of the book, where you say, "If you have come to these pages for laughter, may you find it. If you are here to be offended, may your ire rise and your blood boil," which is great. <laughs> which is just giving them license to, yeah, I know you're going to get pissed. So if you're going to get pissed, then just get really pissed. Yeah, yeah. I think at the end of that blessing, it says all books. Um, I don't know what the verb is I use, but I think it's reveal. all books reveal uh, 
perfection. perfection, either by what they are or what they are not. Um, may you find perfection in these pages and, and um, something like that. But anyway, I with, on the on the rare occasions when I actually teach writing seminars and so forth, that's what I tell people. You can re, you can learn from the worst writer in the world, and sometimes more from a bad writer because you go, oh, I'm never going to do that. Yeah. You learn to recognize what bad writing is, and and um, and I like to give examples of that for people to learn. That's that's why I put bad writing in my books. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> No, but it, but but that's that's kind of what I was going with there. It's like, yeah, this might not work for you, um, but you know, maybe you can use it as a bad example. You know, that's a great review quote for uh, Lamb. It's um, both a delightful read and a cautionary tale. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's sold you know better than any of my other books, but over a slow boil. Which has been interesting, you know, so because we're having some retrospect, you know, 20 years later, the story hasn't changed. It was 2000 years old when I started. Right. The I was so grateful that um, Islam didn't happen for another 500 years. So I didn't have to put that into the mix because right. that was um, when I was writing the book was before 9-11. When the book came out was after 9-11. And it you and it was obvious that you know I didn't want to be in the Salman Rushdie suite um, with just him and me you know playing chess. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was it was a bit of a relief that I didn't have to, to uh, compare and contrast uh, Islam into all the all the theologies that were there. But um, but other than that, th there's not anything that's really time sensitive to it, you know, in in the perspective. So I have to look at how successful has the book been. And it's definitely been my most successful book, but it wasn't from the get-go. They printed like nothing. And by word of mouth, yeah, um, it made uh, the New York Times bestseller list five years after it came out. Wow. You know, yeah. You know, they spent nothing on advertising. They printed a very small amount as the original print. Reprinted it 11 times in the first year um, before the paperback came out, um, which you just usually don't have to do but it didn't make the list during that year the numbers were you know five years later i finally talked them into doing the leather uh cover for it to make it look like a bible which was what i wanted on the original book and they they wouldn't do it it was too expensive yeah but after it was successful my my new editor went i found some guys in china that'll print it and put gold edge on the on the uh edge of the pages just don't lick them because it's probably toxic <laughs> it's it, I'm holding a copy of a leather cup bound copy uh, in my hand and it's so handsome. And if I, if I were an Airbnb, I would put this in the nightstand of my guest room. <laughs> it's lovely that it's had this slow burn success and that you're still alive to see that it's yeah. happened in your lifetime. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, 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 it's great. And, and, and it's sort of, uh, you know, whenever you meet people, and you probably get this about about your shows too, is the you know the the reduced Shakespeare the original show is everybody. Oh my God, I loved it! I laughed so hard and stuff like that. Um, and that's what how people come to me is they go, Oh God, I loved Lamb. It was my favorite. And I was like, You didn't have to choose, but okay, yeah. um, <laughs> I understand. And I'm and I and I just am. Uh, I, I think uh, I was forty three when I wrote that book. And so I was like, oh, okay, I did my magnum opus at 43. And I was like, could be worse. Could be like Norman Mailer, where you wrote your best book when you were 23. And then, you know, just after that, you're trying to replicate that sort of thing. So 
Um, but I've, I've come to terms with it. You know, you can only write the greatest story ever told once. And then after that, you have to you have to have diminishing returns. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, except for one more thing, which I'll share with you in about 60 seconds. So stick around. Lamb, the Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Pal, is the perfect book for the holiday season and all the other seasons. You can find it everywhere, though possibly not in any hotel nightstands. Send us your irreverent tales of friendship via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com or throw a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram or on our own actual website, reducedshakespeare.com or visit my website, theshakespeareance.com. You can also follow Christopher Moore on Twitter and Instagram at the Author Guy. Thanks, as always, to Son of Satan Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band, and this week by Smoking Bishop, the band who appears on stage every night in the Goodman Theater's production of A Christmas Carol. Their performance of Joy to the World is off their CD, Any Tune for a Tuppence. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Guy Garrett. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Jenny Mazels, the artist behind Pop-Up Shakespeare and over a dozen other beautiful pop-up books. And as always, thanks very much to you for listening. Please continue to stay safe, get your boosters, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 835, 2505ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. Oh my God, that is such a great closing line. (laughs) Perfect. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.